Today's second scripture comes from the Gospel of Luke, chapter 19, verses 28 through 40. Hear God's word for us today. After Jesus had said this, he went on ahead, going up to Jerusalem. When he had come near Bethpage and Bethany and the place called the Mount of Olives, he sent two of the disciples saying, go into the village ahead of you. And as you enter it, you will find tied there a colt that has never been ridden. Untie it and bring it there. If anyone asks you, why are you untying it? Just say this, the Lord needs it. So those who were sent departed and found it as he had told them. As they were untying the colt, its owners asked them, why are you untying the colt? They said, the Lord needs it. Then they brought it to Jesus. And after throwing their cloaks on the colt, they set Jesus on it. As he rode along, people kept spreading their cloaks on the road. As he was now approaching the path down from the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of the disciples began to praise God joyfully with a loud voice for all the deeds of power that they had seen, saying, Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest heaven. Some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to him, Teacher, order your disciples to stop. He answered, I tell you, if these were silent, the stones would shout out. The word of the Lord. And so we begin Passion Week, Holy Week, with Palm Sunday. And this week we will experience the lowest of the low, and we will finish with the highest of the high. But today, typically amongst churches on Palm Sunday is a pretty joyful day. And I think there's reason for it. For today, we recognize that there wasn't just a small band of disciples who believed that Jesus was Lord, that there was a multitude that there had become a throng, probably thousands of people who had ascended up into Jerusalem. No matter where you go, Jerusalem is the highest point. So people from all over had gathered and they see this young man, Jesus of Nazareth, coming into Jerusalem, riding on a colt and they proclaim him as Lord. They proclaim him as their Messiah, the one that they'd been waiting for for hundreds of years. They acknowledge them, him with their palms and with their garments. Like I mentioned earlier, they rolled out the red carpet for Jesus. And they acknowledge him with their voices, with their very bodies, with their presence. Listen again. As Jesus was approaching and the whole multitude of disciples began to praise God joyfully with a loud voice for all the deeds of power that they had seen, saying, Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord. And so for as many people as there are, they go their entire lives without ever rightly acknowledging or proclaiming Jesus as Lord. This scene, this event is reason to celebrate. And it gives us grounds to imitate it. And so we do. We imitate it with our procession and with the palm branches and with our own shouts of joy and cheers. We do so with our singing 
and our prayers. And when you do it with your presence, by being here, you are putting God first in your life right now with your time. Jesus is Lord. Acknowledging it and proclaiming it was right to do back then, and it is right to do today. But there's more to this story. And so I want to dig a little deeper into the context of what these people were experiencing, of what they were going through. The Jewish community that lived during Jewish time, living in and around Palestine, they were oppressed by the Roman Empire. Throughout the crowd was probably feelings of anger as they saw those soldiers watching them, monitoring them. Probably feelings of humiliation, of desperation. Rome was their enemy, and Rome was everywhere they looked. And so the Jewish people for hundreds of years have been desperate for their own king, someone like King David, a strong military leader, someone who would come in and overthrow those Romans. And so many in the multitudes had witnessed Jesus healing the lame, giving sight to the blind, feeding multitudes of people with loaves of bread and a couple fish. And then just recently, within that week, resurrecting Lazarus from the dead after he had been dead for days. And so they had seen and witnessed firsthand the power that Jesus had. They had witnessed his miracles. So now if they could only harness his power to overthrow those hated Romans. And so they cried out, Hosanna! Now this is important. Not hallelujah. Hosanna. We get these words confused. Hosanna. Let me start with hallelujah. Hallelujah is a Hebrew invitation for worship, which means praise the Lord. Hosanna is a divine cry for help. Save us. This crowd is yelling out, please save us, save us, save us from these Romans. End the subjugation. Make us a free people again. And he doesn't stop them. But he also doesn't give in to their idea of what a Jewish king should look like and act like. Even though he could have. Let's rewind to the very first week of Lent when Jesus is in the wilderness and the devil comes to tempt them, tempt him, and he says, all these kingdoms in both heaven and earth I can give to you if you just bow down and worship me. And he overcomes that temptation and another couple different temptations. And then the passage finishes and then the devil departed from him until a more opportune time. Here it is. Here is the more opportune time. Where the devil is at work one more time through these good people. And Jesus easily could have said, you know what? This is what the people want. Here I have the opportunity 
to use their outpouring of emotions and to use their desperation and to seek to seize power militarily through violence. And he doesn't. He does just the opposite, as we will see this week. He resists the devil's temptation one more time. The lure of power. Now, at the same time, he never says that he's not the king, that he's not the Lord. And we'll hear this later on where he is in chains before Pontius Pilate. And Pontius Pilate asks him this very question, are you a king? And Jesus' response is, it is as you say, but my kingdom is not of this world. Those who assembled on that day, their understanding of who Jesus was, of his kingship, of his reign, of his purpose, of why he had come to earth, it was misunderstood. It was mistaken. It was too small. It was too limited in scope. And so what I want to focus on for the rest of my sermon is how sometimes we make the same mistake. Sometimes we proclaim Jesus as Lord, but we don't allow him to be the Lord of our lives. We may allow him to be the Lord of our lives on Sunday mornings, but not the rest of the week. Now, the good news is this. Jesus is Lord. He is the King of Kings. But the good news is also is that he's not just the King of the Jews. His lordship and his reign extends to every single person. He's the king of all kings. He's the Lord of all lords. And through his life, death, and resurrection, through the gift of Holy Scripture, through the gift of the Holy Spirit, Christ is available to every single person, you and me. And he invites us to place our confidence, to place our trust in him, not just some of the time, all of the time, not just part of ourselves, all of ourselves. I am reminded of the end of the Sermon on the Mount where Jesus says, there will be many of you that say, Lord, Lord, with your lips, but not with your actions. And when it comes time for judgment, I will say, I never knew you. <clears throat> Today, Christ is inviting you to come under his reign by being one of his disciples. And I love how this passage says, the whole multitude of the disciples began to praise God. A reminder that discipleship isn't just about those original 12 that follow Jesus around. That even in this time, his disciples had extended out into the thousands, men and women, all ages. And it extends to us today. We are called as disciples to imitate his life, to follow his teachings, to become an apprentice of the master teacher, to live a life of obedience, to align our will with God's will, and we proclaim him as king. And we make him the most important part of our lives. We do it in thought, 
in word and deed. I wonder how many Christians consider themselves disciples. I've been thinking about, well, how is it different to be a Christian versus a disciple? And I don't think it's harder. I don't think it's more demanding. I think it's just a different approach, a different mindset. And here's what I mean. When I was a freshman at UC Santa Barbara, I took a class called Introduction to Native American Religion. And it was taught by Professor Ines Talamantes. And she was probably in her late 60s. She had jet black hair and she was Mescalero Apache. And when I would come to her class, I would hang on her every word. And so that first class was probably about 100 students. And I remember she said to the entire class, stop coming up and asking me, what do I need to do to get an A? I hate that question, she said. It shows me you don't get it. Why you're here. Come up and ask me this question. What do I need to do to learn as much about indigenous peoples and their way of life as I possibly can? And so I followed her advice. I stopped worrying about my grade in her class. And I started to focus more on the experience, on the opportunity. And let me tell you, it was so much more enjoyable. It was so much more enriching. It was so much less stressful and anxious. There was not as much pressure. And so I just focused my energy on studying the topic, on the people, the various nations, Lakota, Shumash, Hopi, learning about their connection between their religion and their way of life, their religion and the land that they lived on, their religion and the language that they used. And so I took another of her classes, and another, and another, and another. And I remember my senior year, you know, you've got these big classes, but then once a week, you have these offshoot classes where it's more small groups. And in that last class, I wasn't being taught by some 20-something-year-old TA. But she had handpicked me to be a part of that small group. That group of like eight people. Every week, I got a chance to learn from one of the most knowledgeable and respected professors in the entire field. When you become an apprentice of Jesus Christ, you are learning from the best of the best. When you become Christ's disciple, it becomes less about what you have to do, what you're supposed to do, and more about what you get to do. You have the opportunity to learn and to grow and to live in a way that Christ intended for you to live. And I hope this week you make it to Monday, Thursday service and you can find a way to get to the crosswalk here at 1145 or different churches coming together. I'm excited. I'm not sure what to expect. I've never experienced anything like that, but I'm looking forward to it. I'm looking forward to the Good Friday service and the sunrise service on Easter and Easter day. I don't want you to come because you have to. 
or because you're supposed to. I want you to come to all of them because you want to. If you're younger and you're a part of our youth group or confirmation class, I want you to come to those classes and those youth events, not because you have to, but because you want to. You want to learn and grow and consider what God is calling you to do in your life. It's not about the grade. It's about the opportunity. It's about the experience. One that will impact your life. We get to learn from the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords every single day to learn what servant leadership looks like as he washes his disciples' feet. To learn what true friendship looks like as he meets and gathers with his disciples one last time. To learn what love looks like as he is crucified on that cross. What an amazing invitation we have all been given. What a wonderful opportunity. No matter your age, no matter what you're going through, you are invited to become a disciple of Jesus Christ. Amen.